Welcome to Sundial. I'm Kate Payne. Carlos Frias is out today. Michelle Hausman is the founder behind one of the largest bilingual theater companies in the country. He's the artistic director of Miami New Drama, a company that's known for putting on plays that reflect our community and are often created by our community. There's stories about the cocaine cowboys, about a Jewish family on the brink of the Cuban Revolution, and coming soon, a story about the 1980 McDuffie Rebellion. But Michel's path to Miami has not been straightforward. He studied film and thought he would become the man behind the camera. But the chaos and immediacy of a live theater brought him back. Michel says theater is a lot like life, unpredictable and sometimes dangerous. He founded his first theater company in his home country of Venezuela, where he faced censorship from the government. And one of his shows was tear gassed. He fled the regime of Hugo Chavez and found himself experiencing censorship here in South Florida as well. District officials in Miami-Dade County Public Schools barred students from attending one of the company's plays as part of a school-sponsored trip. Earlier this year, that decision was reversed. Michelle joins us now to talk about his love for the stage and his motivation to stay true to his art, despite pushback from those in power. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Kate, such a pleasure being here. Yes, and the last time I talked with you, it was in the lobby of the Colony Theater on Miami Beach after a matinee of Anna in the Tropics uh, that was put on just for students at Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Uh, The energy was incredible. The reception from the kids was amazing, and, and it was a production that they almost didn't o- get almost to didn't see. happen <laughs> yeah yeah and so tell me you know why why was it important for you all to put on this 20th anniversary staging of that show and to have students there to see it you know i think nilo cruz is one of our sort of local heroes and he mm-hmm. has inspired a generation of artists i think myself included mm-hmm. um he's from miami he's, he's from miami yeah. so for hispanic yes. to win the, mm-hmm. the pulitzer and and you know he actually has been produced all across the world and not so much here in mm-hmm. his <laughs> so I, I think that you know although we are a company mostly of world premieres mm-hmm. every now and then we don't do a world premiere I think we make a, a, a loud exception with Nilo Cruz mm-hmm. because it is important for us to help introduce our audience to the you know the theater patron saint of Miami and we were very happy to produce the 20th anniversary of Anna in the Tropics, directed by Nilo. Mm-hmm. And this season, we have uh, his beautiful work about censorship. Oh. Uh, Two Sisters and a Piano. Okay. So. And that'll yeah. be coming up in? In January. In January. January 27th. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. So lots <laughs> lots coming up. Um, but in, in that moment of the pushback that you all got yeah. over Anna in the Tropics, yeah. um, Remind us what what happened there, and what did it take to to get that show back and and students back in the theater to see it? I I have to say that I appreciate very much the support from Superintendent Dotres. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, you know, he sort of saw what had been happening. We had a very frank conversation, and I think that you know he ruled correctly um you know allowing students to see uh the show but i I have to say that if you look at it sort of from 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 afar it's something i in venezuela i had already experienced you know since the the governor 
you know, started to make um, all these cultural changes with don't say gay, etc. Um, History curriculum. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, right. Yeah, um, slate of restrictions on so, race and identity and how that can be addressed in the classroom. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so what a lot of officials or teachers do is that they self-censure hmm. before receiving it, they, you know, because it creates an atmosphere of fear. So, you know, the, the, the principals of the schools for the teachers, they would rather, you know, be the one censuring so that nobody gets in trouble. So, that, so mm -hmm. you know, so that parents won't complain and they themselves get in trouble. So that's sort of what I experienced in Venezuela. It's institutions, they they did not need a straight directive from, from the government. They were living in a state of fear. And so they would censor themselves in order to avoid the consequences. And, and, you know, I think it was important, obviously, uh, for students to see the work of uh, the first Hispanic to, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's very evident, right? I, the fact that it was a controversy, it's still baffling, right? Um, but, but, but we have to be honest that that is the state uh, of the politics we're in right now. Uh, we're back in, in sort of a McCarthyism 1950s mm. uh, you know where everything is looked through through the lens of uh, a, of this witch hunt in, in this you know false false notion that teachers are trying to brainwash right students mind that's insane, mm. it's insane. And, and that incident what did that tell you about the climate for storytelling and, and for truth-telling now in, in Florida and, and here in Miami right well you know, the fact that that there were meetings about what to do with this play, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, it just means that theater is important, right? Theater is an, a very important tool. And I think the American theater has not really used that tool f for, you know, for what it really can be. I think here in America, we have tamed theater. We have put it sort of in the corner with an entertainment. Yeah, you, know, you get your subscription, and you're going to see shows you saw on Broadway, but with the, you know, with a different cast and, and a worst set and costumes. And, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's what it is. But, uh -huh. you know, but that's not what theater is. Theater is the most immediate art form that can, you know, have a huge impact on the community because we're all in a shared space and and theater you know we can actually miami new drama proves mm -hmm. it right we can actually create work for us for this community we can tell the stories of these communities right we can we can tell you know the, the story of elian gonzalez mm -hmm. the story of of uh, the cocaine era we can tell the story of what it is to run for mayor in miami oh we goodness. can you know we, we can tell the story <laughs> of, of 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 mcduffie and edna yeah. buchanan and 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 so we can be very immediate on a way that TV cannot, right? Or film cannot. And we mm. can address the audience directly. And, and you know, think of places like the, you know, Czechoslovakia, later Czech Republic, mm -hmm. the first president um, after the era of communism mm -hmm. was Václav Havel, a playwright, right? So, wow. so you know, for us to imagine that Tony Kushner could be uh, a president of america is it's kind of wild right yeah. but uh, but it's because we've have treated we have lobotomized theater lobotomized theater yes we took we we've taken the the edge 
from the sort of theater. We, we've, you know, we've now, you know, it's this nice thing and theater is a dangerous thing. Theater bites, right? I mean, theater is dangerous. And if we treat it as such, then, you know, we, we elevate the conversation. They say, well, uh, you know, some people say, well, artists deserve a seat at the table. No, books. Artists deserve to be leading the conversation. I think that's our responsibility in society. So, and I think theater is an extraordinary tool to do, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in, in comparing the censorship, uh, the, you know, the incident with Anna in the tropics, again, right. it, it was concerns from the school district about age appropriateness right. um, and depictions of nudity right. um, on stage and, and what high schoolers were prepared for. How, how did that incident compare to some of the censorship that you faced at home in Venezuela? So before, I just want to say something sure. that, that I find it sort of ironically devastating, which is, so Anna in the Tropic ends, mm-hmm. right, with a man bringing a gun yes. to a safe place mm-hmm. and shooting someone to death. Mm-hmm. So if somebody would say to me, listen, Michelle, gun violence in America is complicated, especially in schools, and we do not want, you know, maybe that's Students a conversation. Students have experienced right. it themselves, Ma- right. their families. Maybe that's a conversation, but the fact that that wasn't even mentioned, right? Mm. It was about this small scene where two people are, you know, laying down after coitus, not mm. during. It's a- mm. So anyways, but, that, but the, the, it just makes you think that we really are not, you know, we really are not addressing real problems. Those are political, easy point problems. They're not to the core of, you know, what's wrong in, in, in society. And right? the lived experience. Of, the the, the yeah. end of mm-hmm. a Cocaine Cowboy, uh, you know, written by the great Billy Corbin and Orrin Squire, uh, ends with, uh, you know, it's all about violence in America, but it sort of ends with a kid taking out um, uh, an AR-15 from a, from a locker and, mm-hmm. and, and and walking towards the audience. A very, you know, those two, three years, it's a very powerful final image, but that is exactly the type of conversation we are, we are urging our audiences to have. And so you asked me about Venezuela, listen, yes, <laughs> it's sort of the same, but different, mm-hmm. way less subtle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we've had, few issues one uh where <laughs> it's just so absurd right we we were doing fiddler on the roof yes. okay uh and uh i i translated with with my friend uh the, 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 and we, i was directing it's already the third or fourth season and it was that time i think 2009 where chavez had um expelled the israeli ambassador mm. and so i received a call from the director of the orchestra that we had worked with in the past, saying, Michelle, we're sorry, you know, we like you, but we receive all of our funding from from uh, from the government, so mm. we can't be seen participating in a Jewish play. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. you know, it, it, I can laugh now. It was extremely upsetting at the moment, and it's a microcosm. You know, Chavez didn't pick up, or anyone didn't pick up the phone and called, you know, the guy and told him, listen, you... It was self-censorship, right? So that that is what I find in common with with what's going on, mm-hmm. with teachers having to pull out books from their own classroom because they're afraid that maybe a parent would get upset and their job would be on the line. Yeah, yeah. 
which we are seeing. And in, in speaking about Fiddler on the Roof, um, I'm curious, I think, was that one of the, the last plays that you put on in Venezuela? Well, is that right? There were, there were, yes, one of the very last, uh, I, I also had the incident where, as you said in the introduction, with the tear gas. Um, and that, it's funny because that, uh, I mean, again, funny years later, <laughs> dramatic at the moment. Um, but, um, you know, we were negotiating with RIM, BlackBerry, that, you know, 15 years ago Technology was the iPhone. Of, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we all had a BlackBerry and, and they were going to sponsor uh, our show. Uh, you know, that, that's when I was doing, you know, be, be, you know, it was Jesus Christ Superstar, the Spanish version, right? Hmm. Um, and so uh, you, you, they had prepared this ad of Jesus holding the, the BlackBerry Storm or what. Okay, nice. um, and... and um, you know the the government. It, it was sort of it was a deal between us and RIM, uh, the, the 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 Canadian company that owns, and the government sort of interfered and wanted us to sign this agreement that we would not spend the money they would give us in uh, any of uh, any of what they would consider opposition media, which included press. every every single uh, you know TV station and radio station. We we said of course not, and we went public with it, and then a few weeks later we were we were welcomed with tear gas in the middle of our performance wow 2500 people in the theater 2500 people in the theater and, and so and what what was that like at the time completely I mean... you know it happened behind the stage they threw the tear ga gas where the actors were thank you know thankfully there were wow. uh, firefighters there and they had five gas masks and so the the cast would trade he said listen show must go on because we don't know what's outside uh, you know outside the theater that's what sort of the 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 firefighters said it's so, safer to stay right in here and and, and imagine 2500 people uh, running out so he said no we, that's it could be a stampede so the actors performed very you know very you know the orchestra we we had 30 musicians and we ended up at the very end, with four musicians finishing the show, wow! Uh, because they they couldn't couldn't they, they couldn't write right, and so it's extremely scary. And um, uh, and then a few years later, when the WikiLeaks scandal happened, that uh, you know the American embassy in Caracas had written a lot about it and sent it to the State Department, and then that came out three four years later. Their anger, the American anger at, at RIM for sort of, you know, a, a falling prey to, to, to the Venezuelan, uh, you know, government. And then it became a scandal in Canada, like, you know, four or five years later, hmm. the stock, you know, crashed a little bit. So, so it had, uh, you know, further impact. It was quite insane. Absolutely. Our guest today is Michelle Hausman. He's the artistic director of Miami New Drama, the resident theater company of the Colony Theater in South Beach. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can download this episode on our daily podcast. And so, Michelle, uh, I'm, I want to talk more about your, your journey as an artist and uh, growing up in Venezuela, what were some of the, the cultural influences and, and theatrical influences you had? Yeah, you know, Venezuela back in the day had mm -hmm. a really big uh, theater festival where, where a lot of uh, very important 
theater artists around the world performed. And so, you know, theater was part of culture. Mm -hmm. um, I think that my journey sort of came first through storytelling. Hmm. I had a, an aunt who was very involved uh, in, in, in my upbringing and, and she would travel a lot to the U.S. And, um, you know, in Venezuela, we would see movies two, three years after they would open <laughs> in the 1980s. So she would watch the movie and then would tell me. Uh -huh. And what, what was her plot. name? Huh? What was her name? Vicky. My, my Vicky. aunt Vicky, yes. And she would come back and, and she would come and back and she would tell me back. the plot of a movie. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask her more. So every time she would see a movie, then she would bring she would bring a sort of notebook to the mm -hmm. to the movie theater to write down all the uh, key plot points. Wow. And so I loved the idea of and I guess it's because you know I'm, I'm dyslexic. I was dyslexic gr mm. growing up, and it was hard for me to read, etc. But I I developed a very good ear. So if somebody would tell me a story, my imagination would just sort of build it in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is how I went into storytelling. And I I was in in, in theater school since I was very young, and mm. uh, and 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 then you know eventually I, I thought I wanted to you know after I. You know, I, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I thought, and mm -hmm. and and that very quickly, you, you know, turned into, um, uh, you know. And tell from, me, tell me about that. What <laughs> what was that turn? Well, yeah, I went back to Venezuela to the with the idea that I was going to make this great movie, and mm -hmm. and I started to direct uh, commercials. Oh. and and you know, working in film is kind of uh, working with dead tissue, right? You have mm -hmm. you at some. At some point, something was alive, and now you have this thing you're editing and you're putting things together that are not so. And you're filming the scene at the end, right? Six exactly. There's no. The that's, middle, yeah. that's correct. Uh -huh. And and Trump I think that there is something that was already in my DNA of having done theater throughout my my childhood that that it's that rush that I never felt. I could never get really excited. Uh, and 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 you know I decided said well let me just you know so a friend of mine said didn't you like theater why don't you go and direct a play and I directed a play in Venezuela I sort of rented a theater and mm. directed a play and then you know a few years later we had this very big company and and we were doing you know big musicals etc oh. and so you've always been sort of pulling pulling folks together pulling space together just to organize this this live, trying to capture this this live experience in and, front of an audience. And the beauty of that live experience is that it does have impact on society. You know, in Venezuela, we were, that's why I wanted to, to open a theater company here. In Venezuela, we had conversations with our audience, right? So we, when we did, the la the last thing that, that, le that was in Venezuela when I left, it still ran for a few more months after I left Venezuela, was uh, uh, another collaboration with Moises Kaufman, who mm -hmm. we're working with now for our fall show but it was his show um a gross indecency the three trials of oscar wilde that i co-directed with him and uh, it's about uh, you know the trial of oscar wilde pretty much for for being gay mm -hmm. and uh and so that started a conversation you know then you know there were articles written about it and and it really did start a conversation about uh, gay rights in a moment where you know the country really wasn't having that conversation. Mm -hmm. So after I left Venezuela and I, you know, I, I got my master's in theater and all that in New York, in and, New York. I, mm -hmm. and, and I was wondering, you know, what to do. I did not want to be a director for hire. I, I, I didn't want to be a freelance director. I wanted to have a, a conversation with that community. Mm -hmm. And while to be I embedded a com in a community, right. with a company, mm -hmm. and I couldn't, you know, I think going back to Venezuela was was now no longer a possibility and. 
you know, Miami was a place I come so much growing up. It felt so close to Latin America, and and and, and uh, Miami is an exile uh, town. You know, people. Haven. It's an exile, absolutely. <laughs> yes. From not only from you know Latin American dictatorship, but from the weather in New York, right? So, <laughs> so you get so uh, you know it's also a very Jewish town as well, yeah. very Hispanic town, and I I, I click you know all those boxes and so i thought this is this is a community i want to be spending the next 20 30 years working with yeah so yeah and so there was never any draw back to new york which is such no. a such a cultural capital yeah, so. yeah 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 which and i and i i love new york but i could never imagine why you want to start a theater company in new york right but miami was the largest metropolis in america without a major professional regional theater wow yeah we had the cockroach grove playhouse in that sort of collapse and yes and, and, and you know miami's a very it's very interesting about miami is that we are living in the future of america right America as a whole is still a majority white Anglo. Mm-hmm. But here in Miami, there's 11% of white Anglos. Yeah. You know, we're 70% Hispanic, 20% either African-American or Afro-Caribbean, and, you know, 10, 11% white Anglos. So if you want to create theater for only for that portion of society, you're going to not have big houses. It's going to miss, yeah. Right, but if you want to do theater for the 100% of Miami, mm-hmm. then, you know, then you have a reason to, to not only exist, but a, a reason to show the rest of the country, who in 20 years will be where we are, how to create that theater for the future of this country. Mm-hmm. And so how have you gone about pulling out those those stories of this community, those immigrant stories, exile stories, and having that conversation, that push and pull. You know, in a very pushy town. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many stories here. There's so, you know, when you have a community of immigrants, you're bombarded with stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a lab that creates new work. So I we commission a lot of writers, mm-hmm. um, many local many that are were local and mm-hmm. now are living somewhere else or others that you know have very strong ties have to the community here. right mm-hmm. and so you know we have probably at this moment 12 plays in development wow. now think of it like a garden right like some of them would take three four five years to bear fruit some of them bear fruit immediately and so you know we, we I, I go every year i enter the garden and i see what's fresh and not and, <laughs> and then we we harvest that we create a season um and, and they're great artists you know we we sort of found you know great allies in folks like carmen pelaez who we've done uh two full-length play with her mm-hmm. and she also was in seven deadly scene or in squire um who we did just now uh, the facing michael jackson and before he wrote the book for our musical a wonderful world mm-hmm. heading to broadway in the spring which is very exciting there it'll be go. now uh performing in new orleans in early october and then in chicago at the cadillac theater mm-hmm. for a couple weeks mid mid october yeah. you know before it goes to broadway um, well and 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 sending out you know folks who can then take their productions to broadway after launching here right how much how much of miami new drama is that you know that incubator space of producing shows that maybe wouldn't have a shot somewhere else. Right. And and, and listen, I, even though it's wonderful when things go to Broadway, et cetera, for mm-hmm. us, what's most important is for the work to be perfect for Miami. Hmm. And, you know, and I do think when something is very specific, it becomes also very universal. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, 
but yes, obviously, you know, we can say that instead of doing whatever was popular in Broadway last season, we are sending to Broadway, <laughs> you know, the work of Miami. That's that's uh -huh. pretty amazing. We're, we're we're creating, you know, now you know when we did Seven Deadly Sins, Seven yes. Deadly Sins during COVID, right? During COVID, it was the largest um, theatrical production during COVID, where we took over uh, a whole block of Lincoln Road and and, and it's I, abandoned storefronts. Yeah, that's right. With and the audience and masks outside. That's right. That's right. And so that <laughs> that that gave us uh, the award for uh, the Drama League Award. Uh, that Hamilton had won the prior year. So, wow. so you know, it's how wonderful it is for, for New York to be recognizing our work and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Well, and Michelle, I wonder, what has your journey been in being someone who can come into this new space and, and your adopted hometown at this point and be someone who can have your finger on the pulse of what is happening in this community? How, how did you step into that and own that? You know, Miami's such a fertile place mm -hmm. and there's such wonderful people and we can do collaborate. You know, we have so much access to wonderful people. You know, I'll give mm -hmm. you an example. The city of Miami Beach, strong partners. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the government of Dan Gilbert, all the companies, they're strong partners. We go, we pitch them ideas. Uh, you know, we say, listen, we need to expand and they and they, and they they help us fund that. And the voters vote to fund, you know, you know to fund us. We now have a wonderful relationship. Um, uh, this season, we're doing a show at the Rubel Museum, right? So we, hmm. we call, uh, you know, the Rubel family. They were happy to meet and they, and we had a wonderful conversation with them and they were happy to collaborate. So this is the type of thing that are so wonderful and open in Miami that I can't imagine in New York calling the MoMA and trying to get them, you know, to work together. I, it, uh -huh. it will take me a, a, a few years, but but Miami has that that you know. Uh, it still can be quite a small town. Yes, yes, uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and, but so much is happening, right? Like this is a town where where every day new things are being born and new ideas are coming together. Some ideas are very bad. I mean, <laughs> let's remember that we were the Bitcoin capital, etc. But but a lot of amazing ideas, a lot of amazing art, a lot of great artists, great music. You know, we are we are the 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 Ellis Island of the twenty first century. Mm. And for you and your life here, as one of the many exiles, as one of the many people who have built a new home in Miami, has it been hard to to let Venezuela go in some ways? How do, how do you make peace with that? It has been very hard. <laughs> yeah. It was very hard. I think that something changed in me in the year 2013. My, hmm. I had my, my, my wife and I had our first first couple kids together we had twins uh. um and it was about that time that that uh there were you know where nicolas maduro stole uh an election and in venezuela though you know they, they had six-year terms so i was sort of making my math in my mind i was How like well best case you... scenario mm -hmm. my kids are gonna have six i'm gonna uproot them from somewhere and i just realized then and there that i was not <laughs> going back and it was very painful and what i did i started to buy for some strange reason, postcards. Postcards that mm. people send from and to Venezuela. I actually just wanted first the visual of, a, of the Venezuelan postcard, just to have something to what, hold on to. What was on the postcards? What right, so I, I just bought on eBay images, <laughs> oh, I swear, images on, of Venezuelan postcards. Brand uh, new or were the no, old ones? No, old, old used, right. And so, but but my surprise back. was uh -huh. when it came, you turned around and there was like 
a, a note from somebody to somebody else. Mm. And then I became obsessed reading all, you know, so I started to buy compulsively <laughs> postcards from, I have thousands of them. And what do, what do they look like? What are the, what are the images? Well, you know, you, you ha- so it's interesting because what they look like is what the country wanted to sell of itself, to, of itself mm-hmm. during so at some point it was you know nature at some point it was <laughs> you know the, the the boom of oil and and, and mm. all the great constructions at some point were you know the party you know the scene so so uh, but the beauty of it is that in a hundred years of postcards that i have it tells a story mm-hmm. so i've been trying to turn that into a theatrical project <laughs> and that's one where you know in my in the lab it might take 15 years to bear fruit wow. but but i keep you know working on it bit by bit and carrying Venezuela with you as you go. Yes, but yes, but you know, I I have to say that I, I I emotionally I can't be as connected as I was before because there's just not not space. So it's it's there, you know, and, and we do it in the work, right? The last show we did, Papa Cuatro, is an amazing musical about five world class musicians and their immigration story. People, mm-hmm. you know, folks who you know eventually won Grammys, etc. But they 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 came here and had to drive Ubers and Amazon yes. trucks, etc. cetera. Uh, and the next show we have, it's huge. It's outstanding. It's uh, based on a bestseller book uh, called Las Aventuras de Juan Planchard, uh, written by Jonathan Jakubowicz. And it's adapted and directed by a theater giant, my good friend Moises Kaufman, who, mm-hmm. who co-founded the, the theater company with me. He's two-time Tony Award nominee, Emmy nominee, and Obama gave him the National Medal of the Arts. Um, not too shabby. That helps. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so this is a world premiere. Again, four years in the making, this play. Um, wow. They were going to start performances on the 17th of October, formally opening on the on the. 28th of October, um, and it's an amazing story that takes you to the underbelly of Venezuelan corruption and mm. greed, uh, sort of told th- in a thriller kind of way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of my way to keep the conversation going. Yeah. Our guest today is Michel Hausman. He's the artistic director of Miami New Drama, the resident theater company of the Colony Theater in South Beach. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can download this episode on our daily podcast. And so on on Miami Beach, on South Beach, what has it been like over the past few years and in, in being the theater company on Lincoln Road? You know, we've seen so many changes uh, in in that area. Um, certainly a lot of tourists. Um, how, how do you kind of reckon with that of, of trying to be, you know, a space for, for the people of Miami? Um, in the middle of a tourist. In the middle of a tourist <laughs> destination. Well, you know, I, I mean, a lot of great theaters across the country are located in oh, the sure. most, you know, tourist Times Square. Yeah. Right. But I have to say that part of our success has been because of the support we've received from the city of Miami Beach. That has been key to our success in the same way that the Knight Foundation mm. and the Perez Foundation, you know, I, I don't, you know, and, and the generosity of, of our patrons. If you look at, uh, if you open any newspaper, uh, you know, to, today, any day, you'll find stories about theaters shutting down, mm. about theaters canceling their season. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, there was a, a, an article in the New York Times about the crisis of the American theater, which is a real crisis. And so and, what, what is that? Tell us Well, about that. I think that after the pandemic, um, the expenses of theaters for everybody doubled. Uh, audiences have uh, receded. 
Uh, and a lot of theaters found themselves insolvent. Mm-hmm. Um, I know friends who haven't gone to a movie theater, right? You know, since COVID, let alone to a live production. But and also, let's be honest: you have amazing storytelling now on TV, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, have you seen Succession? So good, <laughs> you know. So when we try to imitate that, when we try to sort of tell a story in a in a in a rectangular. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe TV can do a pre- and it's free. You don't mm-hmm. have to put your pants mm-hmm. on, right? <laughs> but what we can do in theater is something that Netflix and none of them can do. To we jump can, off the stage. We can create community. We can directly address the audience. We can all share the same breath together. We, we It's a transformative, beautiful experience. And no matter how great writing is, there is something just... You know, it's in our DNA. We've been doing theater for two me and a half millennia. It's wow. part of who we are, right? So it's, uh, but we have to, again, it's our responsibility to take theater, yeah, you know, and, and sharpen that knife. We can't just be doing whatever was popular somewhere else, right? This is a, a unique opportunity. And I think theater across the country need to take serious the word regional before regional theater, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you look at our season and I ask you, where is this theater company located? You'll say Miami. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. The sense of place right. is evident. Right. Yeah. yeah. You cannot do this any anywhere else. Anywhere else. This is uh-huh. uh, right. Yeah. And yeah. and so I think that if, you know, if across the country, they take that regional world more mm-hmm. serious, I think the theater will be in a much better place. Mm-hmm. To speak to the people yes. yeah, in your community. Well, and so what is the state of theater in Miami right now? I mean, we, you mentioned the, the Coral, uh, the Coconut Grove, excuse me, Playhouse, right. which literally is, is crumbling. Yeah. Um, I mean, what? It's sort of a ghost, you know, hanging over the, the scene. How, yeah. What are the dynamics now here? Listen, I, I think that Miami has a very healthy and very beautiful theater community. It, you know, it actually has two theater communities, one in English and one in mm-hmm. Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that uh, sometimes one doesn't even know the other exists. And I Just think in that, separate spaces. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, parallel tracks. Parallel tracks. And mm-hmm. so... You know, when we when we did, uh, for example, one of our first plays, we did uh, the multilingual version of Our Town. Right. Um, and Haitian Creole as well. Exactly. Right? Uh-huh. Exactly. By the way, uh, Samuel French now Concord published uh, that uh, uh, that script. So now mm. when you want to buy Our Town, they give you what? Do you want the traditional or the multilingual one? Wow. And it has been produced around the country. This version that, that started at the Colony Theater, mm-hmm. by the way, f- help funded uh, by the Knight Foundation, mm. it, it now is performed around the country. Incredible. And, and so, uh, and but, but in that rehearsal space, we had folks from both artistic companies who had never shared a space together. And it was wonderful, right? And I think that that is uh, a way forward. I think there's there's tremendous talent here in Miami. They're, you know, they're great playwrights, they're great directors, they're great actors. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, we, we're slowly building this community together. Um, and, uh, and I'm very, very lucky and proud to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And how do you reach new audiences here? Folks who, you know, may never have grown up with theater. It's not part of their life. I would tell you that most of our audience is new audience because mm-hmm. theater had not had that space in society quite yet. Or for mm-hmm. the, you know, and, uh, 
Uh, and I think the key is to to talk to everyone, right? Like our last season, you know, this season we had a, a show about the Venezuelan diaspora. Mm-hmm. I must say this has to be probably the highest uh, box office of any play in Miami ever. <laughs> I think, you know, wow. we played, you know, played two summers straight back to back, you know, maybe 25, 30,000 people saw it. You know, you're talking to, you know, before we had a show about uh, the Haitian immigrant story mm-hmm. based on the work of the patron saint, another patron saint of Miami, Edwidge Dantica, who's That's amazing. Right. And Liliana Blaine Cruz, another mm-hmm. superstar. You know, she was a big Broadway director. Now she's from this community, mm-hmm. won the OB, was nominated for the Tony. And um, came back to and help. She came back to, 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 to bring this that place. To life. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so I think, you know, not only talking about, this community and putting this community center, but doing it with world-class artists. Uh, and, and how lucky is that we have so many world-class artists from this community? Mm-hmm. Well, and in this community, we're also facing an affordable housing crisis, a cost of living crisis. How How is that affecting the artistic ecosystem? You it's... know, the ability... For, for folks to even think about trying to go into the arts we, when they're, the rent is high. We had a wardrobe supervisor who was a star. Mm. And, you know, he came and said, we, I can't afford, me and my partner can't afford living in Miami. We're leaving. Yeah. So, the, the, so so like, like that story, we had so many folks who can't afford to continue mm-hmm. to work with. And we are, as you said, in the, the heart of, South Beach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a 40-hour driving distance, there's really nothing affordable. Mm -hmm. Sorry, 40-minute drive Mm -hmm. around it, there's nothing affordable. So... Even to park on South Beach. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) But but, but our staff get... uh, We pay for their parking. That's (laughs) (laughs) That helps. But, uh, but yes, it's it's tough. Uh, You know, there's some local initiative. The the City of Miami Beach is building some workforce housing. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and at Oolite... Down, down the block, right? They have a uh, a residency program that's for right, artists. That's right. That's right. To help pay their housing costs. So, so there yeah. are solutions out there, but the problem is of, of 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 great magnitude, right? Yeah, yeah. And what does that mean for you know students, even like folks before they even become the wardrobe designer, right. the aspiring playwright, just you know, trying to get their feet into the arts. Well, are, are you we have a very, very robust um, student program um, funded by some wonderful individuals. Um, and, you know, we not only bring for free, uh, you know, buses and buses of students to see our work. Mm-hmm. We also create our work specially to tour in those uh middle school and mm-hmm. high school so you know bringing it right to them bringing it right to them we also uh have we have th- we are in we are in three public schools where we teach theater mm-hmm. um and what we really teach is for students to be able to use the tools of theater to express themselves so we're, we're not really interested in doing a you know a play with them no you know uh, we want them to be able to know how to create their own work. And it's very empowering. And we also have um, summer camps uh, in the school and winter camps. And we have an amazing director, Viana Rodriguez, who who, who directs the education um, program and and very, very, very lucky that we have such wonderful people at Miami New Drama. And when you give 
those young students the tools of theater, what is the impact for them to be able to put on a new life, you know, a new character? Uh, it's transformative. You're giving them agency. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a it's an experiment in agency, and when we're, it's so wonderful, you know. And even when, <laughs> even when students come to see our shows at the Colony, uh, you know, a lot of our board members they want to come that day again. Because the it's a different experience. Mm -hmm. The students react to everything, and they laugh, and they they. It's beautiful to see them because something's you know something is happening in them. And you know, as you know, Miami, we are as multicultural, multilingual as our mm -hmm. community. So a lot of those students are seeing people like them for the first time on stage. People who look like them, people mm -hmm. who talk with accents like them. Mm -hmm. So so it's extremely powerful to tell them your story it's also worthy of being on stage. Mm -hmm. And and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, yeah. Where do you see room for growth in the theater scene in Miami? Where where are we going next? Well, I think that the, the theater in America needs to figure out where are we going next mm -hmm. because I think status quo is leaving a lot of theater shutting down. Mm -hmm. So I think that we of have revival to... shows or wh what is the status quo? Well, it's, you know, the, the season typical, there's a lot of theaters that have, you know, thousands of subscribers mm -hmm. and, you know, they have their, you know, um, revivals of Broadway. So they have the Christmas Carol, they have, you know, and, and, and yeah, I don't think that that, that model, you know, it still works today. There's, you know, that, that there's a lot of older audience who, they don't want to return, etc. So I think we have to take advantage of the fact that we are live, that we are in front of real audiences and, and try to engage in that conversation. I think that that is the future. And we have to, you know, we're very now happy with, with, with that, that, you know, next season we have the show at the Rubel Museum. So mm -hmm. we are now, you know, we're bringing theater to a place that has already a, a, an audience base, right? Mm -hmm. They have 8,000 subscribers to that amazing museum. And so their subscribers and our and our theater goers are going to meet together mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, form community, form, you know, they're going to, you know, our folks are going to be exposed to amazing world-class visual arts and their their folks are going to be exposed to world-class amazing theater. So so uh, we're very excited about that and and uh, and we're very excited about everything we're doing next. It's not only, you know, Juan Planchard mm -hmm. that I mentioned mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're doing uh, the, the two sisters and a piano by nilo cruz uh, direct written and directed by nilo cruz that i mentioned and i'm very 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 excited about the final show of the season written by nicholas griffin based on his own book he wrote an amazing book called uh, the year of dangerous days about Hmm. The ninety, the year nineteen eighty, mm -hmm. and how sort of that year changed Miami and changed uh, really the face of the country. Um, so he took one storyline from that book, which is about the Miami Herald, Edna Buchanan, and the McDuffie riots, and he turned it into an amazing play. And it's really a play about this community. This is, and it's such a beautiful story that touches upon so many issues that are important now and so that's our april show it's called uh, dangerous days and so mm -hmm. that's our, our four sh show season yeah there's a lot of more information at miaminewdrama.org for those listening yes, yes who wants to subscribe as well i i wouldn't stop anyone from subscribing i think it's a very good idea yeah we'll, we'll direct folks there <laughs> for more information why was it important to to dig into 1980 and mcduffie I mean, what's there? Well, first of all, it's important. Miami is a city with no memory, right? We mm -hmm. don't have, you know, we, we 
so, we're such a transient city. Mm-hmm. 54% of us are foreign born. So mm-hmm. so a lot of people who we live here and we have no idea what happened in Miami. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the mission of Miami New Drama. That's why we did the, the story of Elian, the story um, of Cocaine Cow, the story um, of the Facey Michael Jackson, about the, which, which is similar because it's about, the Facey Michael Jackson, it's about the, the, the McDuffie riot sort of, seen from the perspective of youths mm-hmm. in Opaloka. Yeah. But but this story is sort of seen, you know, it's 1980 seen from the perspective of those in power in a way. Um, and, and that investigation of Edna Buchanan. And, and you know, we, uh, we it's 40 years later and, and, you know, those stories are even more common now, right? Police brutality and then the murder of uh, of black males at the hand, unarmed black males at the at the hands of police. It's it's a very common, you know, story and and yeah. and uh, you know, being able to explore it from the perspective of the nineteen eighties, um, you know, in a way that feels like you're you're talking about history, but you're also talking about right now, about yes. today, about yesterday, about tomorrow. It's very powerful. Absolutely. And you talk about the the transformative power of theater, you know, how how have you seen as folks come into your into your shows, experience, you know, this ephemeral moment and then walk out your doors? What is the impact um, as they carry these stories with them? How have you seen these stories change Miami? Well, you know, I think that we always love the idea that what happens in the conversations afterwards, right? So, you know, even if somebody, you know, because we always do new work, right? Almost always do new work. Mm-hmm. So I can't guarantee that every play is going to be, you know, perfect or wonderful. They will all be interesting. They will all create conversations. Um, and uh, I think we've had a pretty good track record of the quality of what we've done, but it's new, you know, it's risky what we do. We're taking something, putting it in the oven, and then we're taking it out. And we have, you know, we're, 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 we don't know what it is until we open it, um, which is part of the, the, the high tension, you know, in those rehearsal spaces. Um, but definitely has had a, a huge impact um, in, in, in how we, you know, so many, I was so surprised so many people were just not aware about the impact of Elian. Like mm. we take it for granted. You think, man, Elian changed my Miami. Yes, but those people who were living there might not be the same people who are now. Mm-hmm. And so many people have, you know, have sort of revisited that story. Um, so many people have revisited the 1980s. Um, you know, sometimes we do parallel stories, right? So so Carmen Pelais wrote uh, mm-hmm. The Cuban Vote. It's an amazing sort of comedy based on uh, the Taming of the Shrew by Shakespeare about uh, uh, a you know very smart woman running uh, for f- for the mayor of Miami, um, <laughs> and while it's not right, it's not history, but 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 by by creating this parallel fiction, she can talk in depth about our current. Uh, you know, situation as a city, the problems we face, um, the uh, you know the, the, the hypocrisy from some mm. candidates, etc. Um, and uh, and we we are we, we, it's wonderful to be able to have that that and, you know, and having the you know the, our mayor who happens you know the mayor of the county happens to be a woman come come to the show and and, and and you know see herself reflected in many of those stories <laughs> uh, has been wonderful really like you know we really feel we are we are in conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, we're we're winding down here, Michelle. But um, when so many folks are are feeling the pressures of self censorship, why why not back down? What pushes you forward? 
Yeah, why not back down? <laughs> I think, you know, I think the spirit of theater has always been a rebellious spirit. I think that, you know, when the Greeks were telling, <laughs> you know, the stories uh, uh, about war, they were, you know, they were even criticizing their own government. They were criticizing here, you know, this here, you know, Trojan women. It's about the effect of the wars we are causing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when Shakespeare uh, was writing, he was writing about power, right? I mean, when Moliere was, you know, wrote Tartuffe about, you know, the, the hypocrisy of the church. I mean, this is, you know, the best theater always is, you know, punching up punching mm. to power and, mm. and and I think that that is the legacy that is a the theater we need to we need to you know we to hold and, okay. and 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 less the revamps of you know of Broadway shows. <laughs> yeah well thank you so much Michelle Hausman such a pleasure being here and that's Sundial for Thursday August 31st Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Engineering our board operations today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Search WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, a former Miami-Dade County Teacher of the Year gets her students to write their way to confidence. Precious Simonette tells us why the vocations of writer and educator go hand in hand. I'm Kate Payne. <laughs>